Acceleration Doesn't Happen by Accident was my very first podcast episode here on Rooted. It remains my most popular and my most played. One of the reasons that episode means so much to me is because I can be a self-proclaimed perfectionist and procrastinator. If things don't look or feel right, I often don't want to move forward. It makes me feel like I'm in control if I know how things are going to turn out. The joke is, as much as I might like to tell myself that I'm in control, the truth is I'm definitely not. Acceleration Doesn't Happen by Accident gave me the courage to move forward with this very podcast. Not knowing a thing about equipment, recording, uploading video or audio, or if I would even be able to be consistent, not knowing if anyone would listen or even care about what I have to say. And because it motivated me, I knew I needed to share it with someone else who may also be sitting on their gift wondering if using it would make any difference at all. So tonight, in kind of a celebration of where we began, I want us to do a six-month check-in, an assessment, a performance review, if you will. I want you to think about the goals that you've set for yourself this year and simply ask yourself, how am I doing now? Before we get started, this is not an excuse or an exercise to condemn yourself or to beat yourself up. It's not designed for that at all, but it is a reality check. You've heard me say this before, that what we love, we evaluate and we assess to determine if it needs to be improved. There's no difference here. We need to check in with our goals. Are we doing what we committed to do? Have we invested in ourselves the way we intended and are we seeing results? Another great thing about doing this assessment is determining if it's something that you still want, because let's be honest, a lot can change in six months. As you begin to do this assessment, I want you to consider that one, if you've not seen the results that you've wanted, or you've seen the results and the progress, but you've hated the process, that one of the reasons for that could be a failure on our part to set and enforce boundaries. We often hear that word boundaries talked about in the context of relationships, which is important, but I also want you to think about them in the context of your calling and growth in your life in general. So tonight we're going to dive into this topic of boundaries as we assess where we are at this mid-year mark. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey friend, welcome back. If you are an avid listener, then you know that last week was the first week since January that I did not upload a live episode on Wednesday at six o'clock. So side note, if you're always wondering when the new episodes go up, they are on Wednesdays at six o'clock on Anchor. Apple takes a little bit longer to upload. So normally they're up by seven at the latest and Spotify is pretty on, on par with Anchor. So that's just a side note. But I decided not to upload a new episode last week or to work on one because I made the very deliberate and intentional decision to enjoy a family vacation. It was important to me that I use that time to not only unplug, but to re-energize and refresh myself. Oftentimes, if you are someone who is serious about your calling and serious about learning and serving, it can feel almost disingenuous to unplug you can feel like you're being unproductive and lazy and not making good use of your time. And what it really is about is your need to find value in your performance. We're not even gonna get into that tonight. Tonight's gonna be about setting boundaries, but I felt like this was a great example that I could show you of how I am learning, keyword learning, to set boundaries when it comes to periods and times of rest. When I know that I can anticipate white space on my calendar that is free for me to do whatever I'd like, when I know that there is space on there for rest, for vacations, for connecting with friends and family, it allows me to fully engage when I am working, knowing that a time of rest is coming. What is absolutely exhausting and depleting is being at 100% work mode all the time, not knowing when I'm going to have downtime and then feeling guilty when I do. I've learned, let me be honest, I am learning (laughs) that I do not optimize in that type of context, that I do not 
do my best work uh, when I'm exhausted, when I'm depleted, and when I don't know when a time of rest is coming. So as we talk about boundaries tonight, I want you to think about your boundaries being something that protects you, that helps you. Boundaries are not, as culture would have us to believe, about teaching people a lesson, about telling people how to treat us, and about punishing people in any way, shape, or form. Boundaries are about creating a space and a place for you where you thrive, a place where you are confident that you can grow and that you can learn and that you can live your best life, as overused as that term may be. It is just where you do your best. It is where you are your best. And for everyone, that looks different. That's the beauty of it. You get to erect boundaries that help you. Now, those boundaries may be universal and may be beneficial for everyone, but you get to craft them exactly as as you need them. For example, someone may not need to go, you know, on a two-week vacation twice a year. But other people, based on how they're wired, based on the effort they put in when they're working, They believe in working hard and playing hard, and that's okay. Some people, again, don't need the extended vacations, but they do need one day a week of downtime where they can do absolutely nothing. Um, Some people need that to be incorporated into each day. Again, you can craft your boundaries for what you need them to be. And boundaries aren't just about rest. Boundaries can be about communication. Boundaries can be about access. Boundaries can be about, you know, romantic relationships, platonic relationships. It can be about, you know, what you expect as far as how it is that you need to uh, articulate your needs and your desires to another person. Boundaries can be about um, restricting access to you or opening access. It can be about the type of relationships you engage in and the types that you don't. It can be about the places that you choose to give your time, attention, and energy and the places that you don't. And so again, I want you to think pretty broad when we talk about boundaries because I don't want you to just kind of get in the gist of accepting others' boundaries as your own. This is a place that you get to be unique and you get to craft exactly what you need. The reason why I think talking about boundaries are so important as we kind of hit this mid-year mark is if you recall uh, the very first podcast episode that I did here at Rooted was Acceleration Doesn't Happen by Accident. To this day, it is still the most played and most popular episode that I've recorded, which is humbling because it was my first one. However, I think that there were so many great tools and nuggets that were given in that episode that really got people inspired and motivated to start reaching for some of those goals that they put on the shelf or rethink the goals they were trying to reach. Nothing is better than taking a moment to step back after you've been in a process for a little bit to assess and evaluate how it's going. You guys have heard me say this in many different contexts, whether it comes to um, assessing how the church is doing or how we're doing individually as believers or how we're functioning as human beings, that what you care about, you're willing to sit down, evaluate and assess. Why? Because if something's not working, we want to figure out what it is we need to tweak so that it can work. We don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't have to assume that we're failing. We don't have to just give up. We can make adjustments and things along the way, which is important as we reach this mid midpoint of the year to not wait until December to say, oh, I didn't reach my goals. I never reached my goals, right? We don't take on that defeatist talk here. What we do is say, this is working. I'm going to do more of that. This isn't working. I'm going to stop doing that. Or I'm going to do a little of this and a little of that change and tweak things as we go. But if we're not brave enough to make that evaluation or do the assessment, we're going to miss out on a prime opportunity to accomplish those things that we've been dreaming about. So one of the reasons why I think if you assess at this midpoint that you're not seeing the results that you desire to see is that we have failed to set some boundaries. Now, don't get me wrong. Failing to set and enforce boundaries, that is not the only reason why you may not be reaching your goals. But this works two parts in the sense that even if you are reaching your goals, are you enjoying the process? Because boundaries can help then too. Boundaries can help you not only accomplish the task, 
but to do it in a way that you enjoy. And that's important. I read a quote today that said, in between goals is a thing called life that has to be lived and enjoyed. And I think that we miss that when we become people who yearn to grow. That if we're not careful, we can make life about growing and obtaining and becoming. And we stop being, we stop resting, we stop enjoying. Because what is the point of growing if we're not enjoying the process? What is the point of learning more or accumulating knowledge if it's not making our life have any higher quality? Because remember, we're just not about attaining information here. Accumulating information with no intention of application is fruitless, tiresome, and exhausting and downright pointless. If we're going to be putting in the work to listen to podcasts, to take notes, to study and read our Bibles, if we're going to read nonfiction books that speak to the areas that we know we need to grow, if we're going to participate, you know, in various Bible studies or masterminds or coaching groups, it ought to be to improve the quality of our lives. And if we're not seeing an improvement there, it's time to reassess. And today's reassessment is going to be centered around boundaries. So in the context of our calling, setting boundaries is critical because if I don't know what to say no to, I'm ultimately limiting my availability to say yes to things I really want to and should be doing. Let me say that again. If I don't know what to say no to, then I am limiting my availability to say yes to things I really want to do. And things that I'm called to do. What does that look like? If you're someone who falls into the group, especially of people pleasing, that means everything that you're asked to do, you say yes to. And you feel that not in the pit of your stomach because not only do you not really want to do it, you're pretty sure that it doesn't fall in line with what it is you're called to do. But you're afraid to say no. You have made saying no synonymous with being unkind or uncaring. That somehow if you say no, it means that you're not submitting to God or that you're not being generous and hospitable. And very few things could be further from the truth, right? Saying no to things that do not align with what you're called to do, with who you are and who you're being called to become, is not dishonoring to God. Saying yes to things that do not align with his will for your life can be borderline dishonoring. Is God going to be mad that you decided to go work out, you know, with a friend who needed some help, getting motivated to lose weight, even though that doesn't align with your calling? No, right? That's beautiful that you're wanting to support your friend. But how much time are you giving to things that do not speak to the direction that you're trying to go? And do you feel that guilt or that sense of selfishness if you tell someone no? I watched a recent, two recent interviews. One young lady, I don't know who she she is. I'm not cool enough to keep up. Um, But she was asked, how do you say no in a nice way? And she said, I don't. And I don't feel the need to say no in a nice way. Now, she wasn't being a proponent of, you know, being rude or disrespectful, but she also didn't feel the need to qualify her no. So if she was asked to engage in a project or to appear at an event or to promote a product and she did not want to, she would simply say no. And she learned that over time, because she was so um, unapologetically Uh, clear in her decisions that her no stopped being questioned. She didn't feel the need to make up a reason why the answer was no. The answer was just no. Now, depending on your circles and depending on who you have access to and who has authority over you, there are some things that you may not be excited about doing, right? If you work for an employer and there's a portion of your job description that you're not excited about, you can't just be like, oh, well, no, I I don't want to do that, right? Not without reason, assuming that they're not asking you to do something unethical or illegal. Um, But generally, there are some things that we will have to do 
that we're not extremely excited about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about setting a boundary where you have complete autonomy and authority to say yes or no to this. And you know, one, you don't really want to do it (laughs) and you don't feel good about doing it. It doesn't bring you any joy or any pleasure and you're doing it out of a sense of people pleasing. You have the right and obligation, I would go so far to say, no. Now, if you have a relationship with that person and you choose to explain why your reasoning is no, that's great. But know that your no is enough. Know that your no is enough. I saw another interview from Carrie Hilson and she was saying very similar things that she learned to enjoy saying no because it opened her up to all the wonderful things she could say yes to. Um, Me and my business partner, uh, Ebony Todd, are writing a book called Capital Moms. That is the name of one of my other businesses that focuses on business uh, consulting and coaching for mompreneurs, women who are in business and also have children. And one of the things that we kind of talk about uh, in one of the sections of the book is learning how to be okay with saying no. That as women who own businesses and are mothers, we all know that we have to delegate and that we have to multitask, but it is still okay to say no. And when we do so, we get to say yes to the things that we really do enjoy doing, the things that really feed our soul, the things that we're really called to do. And that when we say no to the things we really don't want to do, we open up doors of opportunity for people to step in who do want to do those things. And I want you to think about boundary setting in that way. When you set a boundary on what you're going to say no to, when you set a boundary on what does not fit you in the season, you open up an opportunity for someone who is ready to step into that door, who does really want to do it, right? Think about it in the terms of a speaking engagement. Someone has heard you speak. They think you're a great speaker. They want you to come speak. You don't know much about their organization. It really conflicts with your schedule. You really don't have the time to do it, but you're afraid to say no, so you say yes. You show up, you do a great job. People like it, but the whole process was miserable for you. You were staying up late nights, trying to come up with a new topic. You were trying to do research. You were fitting it in between other things. You had to cut out going to your kids' games. You weren't able to get those workouts in that you've been really wanting to do before you went on vacation. You had to make a lot of sacrifices for something you didn't want to do. Whereas think about if you would have set that boundary and said, um, no, I, you know, I'm not available. They might have then been open to ask someone else who not only was available, but has been praying for an opportunity to be able to speak with this organization. Do you see what I'm saying? Your no could be opening the door for someone else's yes. So in a way, we have to think beyond ourselves sometimes when it comes to setting boundaries, because some of us just are not wired to think about what will benefit me. And I think that's been a a conditioning. That's another conversation of culture in the church and all different types of things, especially when it comes to women that we are not allowed to say no, right? But sometimes if that is your wiring, then think about it, not just being you saying no, but your no opening the door for someone else's yes. We want to be very clear about what our boundaries are. Because again, boundaries aren't just about saying no. Boundaries are about setting ourselves up, positioning ourselves to live ultimately and to reach our ultimate potential. Despite popular belief, boundaries are not revenge tools. They're not ways to just create content to post online, to to let our exes know what we no longer will tolerate, (laughs) what we won't put up with, right? They're not just political statements. They're not for entertainment. It really is about keeping myself in a safe space where I understand that this is where I am my best self and do my best work. It can mean keeping others out. It can mean kicking certain behaviors out, pushing things away, but it should be more about what we're keeping in and the decisions that we're making for ourselves that make the space feel safe, that make the safe the space feel like it's a place where I can thrive. When I was talking about pushing people away and, and kicking others out, it made me think about my recent vacation and my son, uh, we were getting in the pool and teaching him how to swim. 
And so I was trying to show him a basic like doggy paddle to begin with. And so I was like, you want to push the water away and kick with your legs. Now, any of you who know my son knows that he's a whole vibe. He's a whole entertainment source by himself. But he said, so basically I'm being an introvert. And so I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, you know, pushing away and kicking. He said, so I'm pushing people out of my life and I'm kicking them away. And I laughed so hard, but then I thought, he knows I'm an introvert. Is he saying that about me? My son is definitely not an introvert. He is extrovert all the way, especially if he feels comfortable around you. But I thought my son has come up with his own clinical definition of an introvert. You push people away and you kick them out of your life. That's probably not helpful. And he'll be listening to my series on childhood trauma about 10 years from now. (laughs) And I'm sure he'll have a lot to say. But I just think that that's the the idea that we get when we think about boundaries, that it's about pushing people away and kicking them out of our lives. And that's not true. It can be. But if that's all it is, then our pictures of boundaries are incomplete. I want you to think about this biblical example. Um, As I was reading Judges chapter 1 going into chapter 2, I saw this pattern that I thought was really interesting. There is this idea in culture that God is always trying to take away from us, that he wants to restrict us. When the opposite is true, he is trying to create healthy boundaries. He's trying to help us to set up a safe and healthy place for us to exist. Ultimately, all by choice, right? He has provided us this information. He has told us the benefits and the consequences of the decisions that we will make. And then ultimately, it's left up to us whether we're going to follow his advice, submit to his commands, and set up these boundaries. After we come back from this break, I want us to talk about and show you a picture of what failure to set boundaries in the Bible looks like and the problems that you have to deal with as a result. We'll be right back. Alright guys, welcome back. So where we left off, I was talking about showing you a biblical example of where God implored his people to set boundaries. And I want to just kind of lead in a little bit and want you to think about it this way. Because again, I know that culture and sometimes our experiences and the enemy definitely wants us to think that God is withholding from us, that he wants to restrict us. And that's just simply not true. God is always about setting up a safe and healthy place for us to exist. And he gives us the option to choose to rest in that place but it also requires work. I want you to kind of think about a garden, right? If you had a garden that you were responsible for tilling and taking care of, and you did absolutely nothing, it's not as if that garden would stay in its current state and continue to produce. More than likely, the seeds and plants and things that you had you know, planted would die out and thorns and thistles and weeds and everything would overgrow. Animals would come in and eat whatever was left. And before long, there wouldn't be a garden there at all. Whereas if you erected a fence, a boundary around your garden, it'd be a far likely more chance that at least outside predators wouldn't be able to get in. And it would allow you to be protected while you worked on the current state of the garden within the fence, right? So it's a protector that allows you to thrive within its boundaries. In our minds, though, we think that any any type of restriction, any type of guidance that doesn't let me do whatever it is I want to do in that moment is an attack on our freedom. But if you knew that your children were playing outside in this big open backyard, but you also knew that there were wolves or vipers or various harmful creatures in the forest that bordered on your yard, would you just say, oh, I love my child too much to, to not let them wander in the forest. And I know that there are predators and things out there that could attack them and kill them if they're not safe. But I just think that's a life experience that they should have. And I want to just let them decide how they feel about it or not. And and knowing they may lose their life, I get it. And knowing that I have the foresight and the wisdom and knowledge to protect them from that or at least give them information, I do not want to impose on their freedom. And, you know, 
I just care about their desire to play. And so I'm going to let them pick and choose and whatever consequences come will come, right? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. God in the same way encourages us to set up proper boundaries and he has laid those boundaries out in his word. But when God says things to us like, don't have sex outside of marriage because of the potential harm that can come with it, we take that as you don't you don't want me to have control over my body. Right? But it's not about telling you what to do with your body. It's about trying to get you to understand that within these boundaries are real freedom because culture tells you that freedom is giving your body away to whoever you want. But that's not freedom. That's called a lack of self-respect. That's a lack of self-control. Culture says, put whatever you want in your body. It's your body. Who cares what you eat, what you drink, what you snort, what you smoke? It's your body. Because culture sells lack of discipline and control, lack of boundaries as freedom. Culture tells us that God only wants to take. And if you recall, that's the same tactic the enemy used in the garden. And where the church fails in this aspect is that It only focuses on don't do this and don't do that. And no one talks about the character in the heart of God and why it is that he's cautioning us against these certain activities, what it is that he's trying to protect us from. Being a Christian isn't just about ethics. It's a part of it, but it's not all of who we are. Being a Christian is about being holy and holy means being set apart and sanctified. It doesn't mean that in and of ourselves, we are something special. We are set to be an example only because of what Christ has done. He is the only one that makes any of us worthy. Unless someone try to convince you that you're not worthy, then they have not taken on the mind and character of Christ because Jesus is the only one who makes us worthy and anyone can receive him at any time, period. So yes, being a, being a Christian means that we ought to be living our lives differently than the rest of the world, but not only living it in a sense to say, I'm doing this and you're doing it wrong, but to understand why we are choosing to live that way. Because when we understand why we're setting up these boundaries, when we understand why this is the heart of God, we can not only show it in our actions, but we can explain it in love to others who want to know why is it that you choose to live your life this way? Because we're not better than, we're just different from. And as a Christian, yes, you are going to face challenges, but you were called to have strength. You were called to have discipline. You were called to operate in love. And those are the things that require you to live your life differently. God is not trying to keep you from what's good when he asks you to set up a boundary. Scripture tells me that no good thing will he withhold from me. So if I don't have it, if he's saying, look, you don't need it, then I can rest in that because I know the heart and character of God. So if he's telling me, you know, not now or not in this way, I can rest in that truth. And that's a powerful place to be. Why? Because then any attempt by the enemy to distract me or discourage me, by getting me to think about what I don't have, that fiery dart is immediately is immediately extinguished. Why? Because I've already settled in my heart that for what God called me to, he has equipped me. No good thing will he withhold from me. If I needed it, I would have it. God doesn't call me to do what he has not equipped me to accomplish. If I needed it, I would have it. If I needed it, I would have it. And so when God tells me to set up a boundary, and he says, no sex outside of marriage, right? Then I can say, okay, Lord, you know what desires I have in my heart. And let's just be real. You know what desires I have in my heart. You know that I desire to be intimate with someone who loves me. And I know that a sexual desire is a legitimate desire. So God is not saying to us, your desire to have sex is a sin. No, your desire to have sex is given to you by God. It is not a sin. Satisfying that desire in an illegitimate way, which would be outside of marriage, is the sin. But it's also a sin that can be forgiven. And I'm not even going to go down that road because then other people will say, well, when you say that, it just frees people to go have sex and ask for forgiveness. God knows your heart. And pre-planned rebellious sin can be confessed 
but it also has to be repented of, meaning you will not go that way again. You have turned your heart and agreed with God about what he has had to say about a matter. I feel like everything I get into, I'm like, but that's another lesson for another day. And this is just how God's word is, right? It just, it goes on. It's a living, breathing thing. But if I allow the enemy to continually succeed in getting me focused on what I don't have or what I can't have in that moment, it keeps me from focusing on what I do have and what I can do, which is his real goal anyway. So if I get caught up on that one relationship that didn't work out, I'm going to miss out on engaging with all the loving relationships I do have or even positioning myself to meet someone new because my mind is focused on the old. It's focused on the past. It is a ploy and tactic of the enemy to get you to coalesce with your condition, to give into your temptation, to convince you that God's way is too hard, that he can't be trusted and it's unfair. The enemy wants you to settle and believe that if God hasn't given it to you, that God is holding out on you. And it's a lie, friend. And it's a lie that you're going to have to remind yourself is a lie because the enemy does what works. And this is a tactic that has worked since the garden when he convinced Eve that God did not want her to eat the fruit because he knew that she would be like him. And that was a lie. She was already like him. She was made in his image. But if the enemy can get you to think again, that God is holding out, that there's something that's missing, that if you just had this one thing, you would be happy. If he can get you to think that God's boundaries are too restrictive, then he'll get you to question the character of God. And when you begin to question the character and heart of God, you begin to lose your trust. And where there is no trust, there can be no faith. And where there is no faith, there can be no relationship. And then everything begins to unravel. So now that I've rambled on (laughs) another 10 minutes, Judges chapter one, starting in verse 19, and I think it kind of goes the, the, portion of scripture I want to refer to goes through Judges 2 verse 5. And I'm not going to read all of it, but I am going to read some highlighted parts. Basically what has happened here is that the people have crossed over into their promised land and the different tribes were given their portion of the land that was previously disseminated in scripture where they were told, you'll be here, Judah, you'll be here, you know, the tribe of Benjamin, you'll be here, et cetera, et cetera. And so they've crossed over into it and the Lord gave them very clear instructions that when they took possession of the country, that they were to drive whoever was there in it at the time out, right? And he told them why. These people are going to be um, a stumbling block for you. The way that they live, their customs, their practices. If you do not push them out, they will be a stumbling block for you. And I want to read to you just a few portions of what happened. Starting in verse 19, Judges chapter 1, it said, The Lord was with the people of Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had iron chariots. Verse 21, the tribe of Benjamin, however, failed to drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. So to this day, the Jebusites live in Jerusalem among the people of Benjamin. Verse 27 through 33, the tribe of Manasseh failed to drive out the people living in Bethshan, Tanakh, Tor, Iblium, Megiddo, and all their surrounding settlements because the Canaanites were determined to stay in that region. When the Israelites grew stronger, they forced the Canaanites to work as slaves, but they never did drive them completely out of the land. The tribe of Ephraim failed to drive out the Canaanites leaving in Gezer, so the Canaanites continued to live there among them. The tribe of Zebulun failed to drive out the residents of Kitron and Nahalal, so the Canaanites continued to live among them. The tribe of Asher failed to drive out the residents of Akko, Sidon, Ablam, Ixam, Helbuk, Aphek, and Rohab. Instead, the people of Asher moved in among the Canaanites, who controlled the land, for they failed to drive them out. Likewise, the tribe of Naphtali failed to drive out the residents of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath. Instead, they moved in among the Canaanites, who controlled the land. As for the tribe of Dan, the Amorites forced them back into the hill country and would not let them come into the plains. So what I've just read to you in chapter 1, verses 19 through, I think, verse 36, are continued accounts of where God told them, set this boundary. The boundary being that when you arrive in this place, you kick whoever is there out. And the boundary needs to be set because it's going to affect how you live in this land that I've given you, in this promised land. So basically, I'm going to deliver a promise to you. 
But when you arrive to the promise, you need to set up a boundary to protect it. It's important that you do so. It's not just about receiving the promise. You've got to protect that thing. And if you don't, these are going to be the consequences. And as you heard, as each of these tribes took possession of their promise, they failed to drive the the residing tribe or nation of people out. For some of them, they coexisted. For some, they became slaves to them. For others, the people who lived there controlled the Israelite tribe more than the Israelite tribe controlled the area, and they refused to leave. The angel of the Lord in chapter 2 went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said to the Israelites, I brought you out of Egypt into this land that I swore to give your ancestors. And I said, I would never break my covenant with you. For your part, you were not to make any covenants with the people living in this land. Instead, you were to destroy their altars, but you disobeyed my command. Why did you do this? So now I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. I wish we had the time together, friend, the time together to really break this thing down. But did you hear what God said? I swore to you, I would never break my covenant with you. I would never break my covenant with you. And for your part, what I asked you to do was that you don't make a covenant with the people that are already there. You were to destroy their altars, but you didn't do that. Why? Why? So he said, I'm, I'm not going to take care of it. I'm not going to drive the people out from among you because I did my part. You didn't do your part. And I think for so many of us, God knows we don't have the fortitude to set up those boundaries and that there are so many promises that he wants to hand deliver over to us that he knows if I give her that right now, if I give him that right now, they're not ready to do their part. Do you remember when he was first bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and he could have taken them the shorter route and he said, I'm not taking them that route because they're not ready for the fight that they'll have to fight. It's a shorter route. It's a shorter route. It'll only take 11 days if I take them that way. But I'm not going to take them that way because they're, they're just not ready. They are not ready to go there. That's the same with us. There are things I believe God wants to deliver that he's saying, okay, if I, if I fulfill this promise in order to protect it, in order so that the promise doesn't become a stronghold, in order so that the promise doesn't become a pit, in order so that the promise doesn't become more work than they were anticipating, I've got to know they're going to set a boundary around it. And he watches. He watches us with what he's already entrusted. And he sees how we're doing with that. And while I believe in his heart, he wants to give us those things that we have prayed for. The things that he is ready to deliver. And he says, if I give that to them now, it's going to cause more harm than good. God had told them in advance. This wasn't a surprise that now you're here. Aha, I fooled you. You got to drive these people out. He told them in advance, when you get there, do not forget about me. Don't forget who brought you here. Don't make covenants with them. Don't enter into relationships with them. Don't entertain them. Kick them out of the land completely. The reason why God wants to set up boundaries, the reason why he asked these Israelite tribes to set up boundaries is because there are things that you're going to be called to do in your calling as you're walking in your promise. And you don't have the time or the energy to have to also worry about this new thorn in your side or sidestep these stumbling blocks or worried about all these new distractions and temptations that were never issues for you before. Do you wonder where they're coming from? They're coming from a lack of boundaries. They're creeping into your garden because there's no fence erected. So now you can't focus on that business you were trying to start or that marriage that you're trying to, you know, heal or that area of life that you're trying to excel in. Because now you got all these new challenges that you would never have had to worry about if you would have set up those boundaries. I heard Pastor Darius Daniels talk about it this way when it comes to boundaries. 
God will do what we can't do, not what we won't do. Listen to me. This is not the same as God helps those who can't help themselves. That, that's nowhere in the Bible. God will do what we can't do, not what we won't do. What do I mean by that? God was the only one that could get this group of people, this nation of people into this promised land. But he left it up to them to kick these people out. Now he'd equip them because he said, I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to break my covenant with you. But for your part, this is what you need to do. You need to kick them out and set up a boundary. When they refused to do it, God said, okay, got it, got it. You don't want to kick them out. I'm not going to kick them out either. And now you're going to have to deal with the consequences of them not being there. God will do what we can't do, not what we want to. And I want you to think about your current situation that you've been praying about. Is it a struggle? Is it really impossible? Or are you just being disobedient? I know that hurts. And if this isn't for you, you know, it isn't for you. I'm sure you respond to God the first time and you don't have no problems. But I just want you to consider it. Are you not seeing the results that you want to see at this point in the year after six months in? Are you not seeing the results that you want to see because God isn't doing his part? Or is it because you're still not doing your part? And what if your part is just to erect the boundary? You don't have to create the path to get to the promise. It's not your job to deliver the promise. Your job is just to erect the boundary. What if that's what God is waiting for? And then what happens in general, right? When in general, so not just when it comes to our calling, but when it comes to our life in general, what happens when we fail to erect boundaries? Well, some people say that they feel ill-equipped to erect these boundaries because they just don't know where to start. And I can understand that, right? Because again, I'm a huge proponent of therapy, of counseling, of coaching, of consulting, of talking to people who are experts in matters. So I don't have to try to relearn everything myself or learn it for the first time myself and try to break down difficult concepts that I'm just not smart enough to understand. There are people who are trained in that (laughs) and I want them to excel, right? I want to say no so I can say yes to their opportunity. And a lot of people that I've done some research with and spoken to have said that people fail to set boundaries because they really just don't know where to start. It's just a difficult process, especially if you're a person who is not naturally geared that way and you really do struggle with uh, people pleasing and not saying no. And so I saw this uh, quote from a doctor um, and I shared it, I think, on my social media. And I also commented on her Instagram about how great I thought it was. And she says, this is Dr. Randy Buckley. And she said, when you're unsure of what to do, may I offer that you do the thing that feels like self-respect? When you are unsure of what to do, may I offer that you do the thing that feels like self-respect? And that hit differently for me. Um, And I hope it does for you too. If you don't know where to start in setting boundaries, whether it's with yourself, whether it's in your work life, whether it's in a relationship, um, whether it's in your hobbies or your habits, how you spend your time, start by doing the thing that feels like self-respect. Does it make you feel good when you set this boundary, when you draw this line in the sand? And I know we're often told that how we feel doesn't matter. Who cares about your emotions? I care. And you ought to care. God cares. He gave them to you. Now, should your emotions control everything? No. But if you're not taking your emotions into consideration, then your evaluation of yourself is incomplete. We've been churched and taught so often that denial of self is the same thing as humility. And so therefore, if we're called to be humble, then any consideration of what we would desire, what we would want is unholy. And that's just not true. If when you draw that line in the sand, you start to feel more autonomy, more authority, more like your authentic self, that could be one key indication that you're going in the right direction. 
So when you fail to make decisions that align with self-respect and you fail to set those boundaries, you will begin to shift into self-abandonment. No one remains in the same place. People think that if they're not consistently growing and moving forward, that at least they're staying the same. Um, the kind of law of stagnation is not true. You don't just stay static and stagnant. You regress. You backslide. There is no such thing as staying in the same spot. If you're not growing, you're dying. It's just it's just one or the other. And so people think if they don't erect boundaries, that they're just kind of staying in the same mode when it's not true. Then you start backsliding into self-abandonment. And that's when you start to do things like you just keep quiet to keep the peace. You engage in toxic codependency. You guys know in relationships, I'm all about healthy dependency. We talked about that um, when we were in, I think, the relational trauma episode, right? Independence, dependence, and interdependence. But this is a toxic codependency. We start prioritizing taking care of others and forget about taking care of ourselves. We engage in chasing love and people-pleasing. We start ignoring or explaining away red flags. Basically, we just subjugate ourselves to the whims and the ways of whoever we come in contact with. We forget ourselves. Have you ever like met someone who is like, man, I just lost myself for a while there, right? They were just kind of getting knocked around. I know I've been through that season of life. I believe I'm coming out of it. Rooted had a lot to do with that, helping me find my purpose again. But there was a four-year time period there that I just felt like I really lost myself and I lost my voice. And I can relate to a lot of these things that really result in settling because the thought of putting energy into doing something else was exhausting. And to be honest, I, I think I felt as if... Um, I was staying the same that, you know, I, maybe I wasn't growing and moving forward, but that, you know, at least I know this and this is where I've been and this is what I know. And over time I noticed I was starting to lose even what I had. Um, and so I would just encourage you if you, again, if you don't know where to start when it comes to setting up boundaries, start with doing what feels like self-respect. Refrain from falling into self-abandonment because it is hard to get out of that pit. And what happens again is if the enemy can get us there, if he can get us distracted, if he can get us doubting God, if he can get us to not guarding our garden and have us in this place that's totally, um, I, I was going to say run over by misuse, disuse and um, ignoring it, then we'll get so caught up in trying to have to clean up the area and, and fix things, which we should do if that's where we're at. But just think about how far we could have gotten the harvest that could have already been produced, the seeds that could have already been planted. If every year we're just weeding the garden again and, okay, let me till the soil again. And this time, let me plant some more seeds. And then we forget about it and the garden gets overgrown and overwrought and it's been attacked. And uh, I got to re-erect this wall and let me pull the weeds again and let me plant some seeds again and see what happens. Imagine if we stopped that silly cycle, planted some seeds, sowed some things and monitored that garden, erected the proper boundaries, persisted in our calling and then got to actually reap a harvest. Instead of having to plant season after season after season with no result because that seed was dug up because the thorns choked it out. We actually got to reap a harvest. Imagine that, right? But it's got to start with setting those boundaries. The last thought I want to leave you with is when you are starting to erect boundaries, whether again, it's with yourself, work life, relationally, lean upon dependable resources. You know that I believe the Bible to be the most trusted source of information on the planet. So for me as a believer, that's where I would start. But if you are depending on social media, you know, things that you read online, you know, content creators, that's fine too. I'm a content creator. But make sure that your source is reliable. I read things all the time that sound great, but are so misleading. For example, I read a quote today by someone that I'm sure is a wonderful young lady, but she said, go where the love is, go where the certainty is, the consistency, the reassurance, but most of all, peace and stay there. And that post got close to 33,000 likes because it sounds good. But I want you to think about that. 
go where the love is. Go where the certainty is, the consistency. That sounds like to me looking for another space apart from myself, right? That's going to give me what it is that I need. But what happens when I take this undisciplined, um, boundaryless, <laughs> boundaryless person to this place of love and peace? I'm bringing all that chaos with me. And so then I'm going to wreak havoc there. And I'm going to spill that lack of self-respect and that self-abandonment there. And then I'll say, oh, well, there's another place of love and peace over there. I'm going to go over there. Well, how about instead of going to where the love is, we start creating where the love is. Why don't we start creating a life we love so we'll stop trying to escape it? Right? Create a place of love and peace for yourself, which begins with you and setting up those boundaries where you are right? You can't abandon the garden that you've been given. You're going to take it with you wherever you go. So why not take care of that and create that as a place of love? Because you're not serving yourself by always looking for where the grass is greener. Create the green grass. Fertilize the green grass. You become a place of peace and love for yourself. And I think that that's where you'll find your healing and your wholeness um, instead of looking for it somewhere else. And so, friend, that is where we have started off our six-month mark assessment and evaluation. If you are not seeing the results that you want or you have not enjoyed the process thus far, even if you are seeing results, consider your boundaries. Have you set up proper boundaries? Is there something that God's waiting to do and to pour into you that he just can't yet because you've not done what it is that you promised to do? He's done his part and maybe we failed to do ours. It's something to think about. It's something to consider. God will do what you can't do, not what you won't do. Make sure that you're not missing out on your promise because of disobedience. I love you so much. I know this was heavy. It always is, but that's what we do here at Rooted We Grow, right? We refuse to accumulate information just to have it. We believe in practical application that will change the course and quality of our lives. I'm Shania. This is Rooted. I love you. Bye.